Good morning, everyone. We all have great reason to be grateful today. Do you remember how hot it was last week? I was like, see, God loves us. It's going to be 110 next week. <laughs> Before we jump in today to our, our main kind of theme that the scriptures give us, I just want to highlight our second reading. We live in the most individualistic time probably in history. And technology has kind of forced us into that or maybe helped us into that. Uh, <clears throat> we just do things our own way. We're, we're, so, we're so individualistic. Someone last night after I said that, they sent me a, a link to a YouTube video. And they were telling me about something. I haven't watched the video yet. But apparently there's something called virtual disco now. Have you heard about this? You guys got to get with it. Right? Apparently virtual disco is people will go to a club now, but everyone brings their own headphones. So we can't even be in the same like place dancing. Which don't, it's, don't go to a club anyway. It's not usually good for your soul. But we had to have our own music. And today, we, you know this as well as I do, right? Think about our country right now. Our country is this place of division. We are hugely divided right now, liberals and conservatives. We have tensions in race. We have tensions in gender. We have tension in political parties. We have tension all over the place, and there's lots of division. In the New Testament, the miracle that St. Paul sees that happened on the cross was that God created a family that transcends and breaks down every one of those divisions. And if you heard our second reading, Ephesians chapter 4, there are seven unities that St. Paul tells us about. And he says that you and I as Christians are eager, right? Not we just think it's a good thing, that there's an eagerness inside of us for unity in the one church of God. I hope you have that. I hope you see that people in the, the pews next to you, you and I are not strangers. Right? We're not people who happen to believe the same thing. You and I are family. So St. Paul says, that we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, right? St. Paul's word, when he talks about the body, he, that's the church. Of course, Corinthians is very strong on that. There is one body, right? There is only one church. It's called the Catholic Church. There is one body. There is one Spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope, that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Our differences, right, whether you're male or female, whatever your economic status is, whatever your history is, you and I are one in the one Savior of mankind. And that's hugely important. Right? Our Lady of Lords, this little parish in Denver, the world around us is at war with itself. But not here. In Christ, we are one. 
Okay, if you're a visitor, you probably thought that was the homily. You'd be wrong. <laughs> Here we go. Today's main theme in our scriptures, our first reading, our gospel, and our responsorial psalm. All three of those things, there's, a, there's one theme that unites them. And then the question that the scriptures want us to enter into today is about whether or not God is really enough for us. The, the responsorial psalm captures it. We sang today, we said, the hand of the Lord feeds us. He provides for all of our needs. So every Thursday, my community, we go to lunch at Chaos Pizzeria down on Pearl Street every Thursday. And I always think it probably freaks people out, you know, like... It's weird enough when the first guy gets there, you're sitting eating lunch, one priest walks in, you're like, oh, that's kind of weird. Then like 10 more come and you're just like, you know, what the heck is going on? We go there every Thursday, and this Thursday what happened, we're always hungry, they have great pizza, and this Thursday our waiter got it wrong, and uh, he accidentally ordered us small pizzas instead of large. Now ladies, I don't know if you struggle with this as much as men do, but when I go to lunch, I'm always worried, will there be enough? Right? I don't know why God created me in this way, but I am basically always hungry. Like, always. And so, you know what the companions are all thinking. There's ten of us sitting around, and we see these two little pizzas. And we're all wondering, okay, who's ordering a salad? You know? <laughs> We all want it. Each one of us is thinking, I could eat both of those pizzas myself, right? And it's a scary moment for a man when you don't think there's going to be enough food. You just start plotting immediately ahead. Our scriptures are about that today. In our first reading, Elisha, the prophet, has 100 people to feed, and he has 20 barley loaves. We'll come back to what that means, why it's barley, right? He says, Lord, there's not enough. I can't feed all these people. There's 100 people. I can't feed them with 20 loaves of bread. In our gospel today, Jesus, right, he's the son of God, so he's got to be greater. So Jesus, instead of having 20 barley loaves, he only has five. And with five loaves, he feeds 5,000 men. Just to one-up Elisha. So that, that it's all about that today. And here's the thing. Brothers and sisters, this is meant to lead us deeper into the spiritual life. And there's just a simple question that we're supposed to ask today, that our scriptures lead us to. And the question is this. The question is not about bread. It's about God. And the question is so simple. It's, Lord, are you enough? Are you enough? Can you provide for me in my life as a Christian? Or do I need to turn to other things? If you haven't wrestled with that, again, I want to challenge you. I hope you're challenged every Sunday. If you haven't asked that, you probably haven't pursued Christ enough. The Christian life is difficult. Today's gospel, we're, we're starting John chapter 6 today. We're going to be in John chapter 6 for the next five weeks. So I encourage you to go home, read John chapter 6. 
And there's a background to John 6. The background is the Exodus story. Right? And the, <coughs> the Exodus, all that, the Exodus story tells us what it means to be a Christian. Right? In the Old Testament, Egypt and then Babylon later on, Egypt and Babylon are symbols of slavery and of sin. And that's because the Jews are in slavery there. And what it means to be a Christian is that God leads you out of sin. Right? And you're on your way to the promised land. The Jews are traveling to the promised land. You and I are on our way to our promised land, the kingdom of God. Now, today I want to challenge, if you're not, if you're still in Egypt, Egypt is the place of sin. Sin makes you a slave. Here's what Origen says about it. Origen says, see if the affairs of the world, now the affairs of the world just means everyday life. I'm consumed with my job, with Hollywood, with gossip, with politics, the affairs of the world. See if the affairs of the world and the acts of the flesh, the acts of the flesh are a little darker. The acts of the flesh are lust and pride and envy and hatred. That's the flesh. See if the affairs of the world and the acts of the flesh are not the house of bondage. Just as on the contrary, to leave the world, to leave worldly matters and to live according to God is the house of freedom. Egypt, therefore, is the house of bondage. See, Egypt is that place of slavery. It's sin. Egypt, therefore, is the house of bondage, but Judea and Jerusalem are the house of freedom. Brothers and sisters, the first thing, if you're going to be a Christian, you must leave Egypt behind. If you're still in Egypt, if you're someone who's living like everybody else, if you're living for lust, for pride, for vanity, if you live in jealousy and envy, if you live in the world, if you live for sin, that is making you a slave. And the first thing you have to do if you're going to be a Christian is you have to leave Egypt. No one becomes a Christian, no one, without leaving the world behind. You cannot have both. I want both. Right? I always think, gosh, wouldn't it be great if I just could do everything I want to do and I could live a worldly life and live for pleasure and power and my own pride and I could be a great Christian? You can't do it. But once you've done that, if you've left Egypt, if you're in that second category, if you are someone who's made that leap and you've started to follow Jesus, you're on your journey to the promised land and here's what happens. He'll lead you and you have one question. And it's that question the scriptures give us today. It's Jesus, can you provide for me? Lord, are you enough? I left behind the world. And Lord, I've got my doubts. The Christian life is hard. Will you provide for me? 
In Exodus, right, the, the Jews leave Egypt, and then God provides with bread from heaven. And today in the gospel, Jesus takes a large group of people out in the wilderness, and he multiplies bread. There's all these echoes of the Exodus. Now, spiritually, though, primarily what this is about, right, it's not about food. It's not about your income level. It's about your heart and your soul. If you've left behind your former life, and here's what Augustine says, one more line about this. Egypt and Babylon become the two symbols of worldliness and sin. St. Augustine says, I was so blind to the truth that among my companions I was ashamed to be less dissolute than they were. Have you ever had friends? I call them nasty friends. You ever had a nasty friend where... A nasty friend is someone who's really fun to be around, but they don't help you become a better person. Have you ever been a nasty friend? Right? <clears throat> Augustine is among these friends, and they're doing immoral things. But there's almost a competition about who can be worse. Among my companions, I was ashamed to be less dissolute than they were. I heard them bragging of their depravity. And the greater the sin, the more they gloried in it. So that I took pleasure in the same vices, not only for the enjoyment of what I did, but also for the applause I won. I was afraid that innocence would be taken for cowardice and chastity for weakness. And I love this line. These were the companions with whom I walked the streets of Babylon. Augustine never lived in Babylon. He's talking metaphorically. A Babylon, Babylon is the second place of slavery for the Jews. It's a place of immorality. And Augustine says, the, these were the friends that held me in Babylon. When you become a Christian, what almost always happens, if you really become a Christian, if you really follow Jesus out of Egypt, out of Babylon, one of the first things that always happens is you lose your friends. And it's really hard. When I was in college and I saw, started following Christ intentionally, I lost my friends. And I was lonely. And I was on fire for Christ, but I thought, Lord, I don't know if I can do this. If you're in Egypt, if you're in Babylon, you're a slave. Sin makes you a slave. You've got to get out of Egypt. You have to leave Babylon behind. Okay, so then we get to the wilderness, and our, really our message today, Jesus, are you enough? If you've been on the Christian journey, your temptation is to go back. And I've been a priest now for seven years. I've been trying to live an intense Catholic life, I don't know, for 15 or 20 years, probably 20 years. And it's hard. And there's moments where I say to God, I say, Lord, are you enough? I became a priest. I gave up the hope of marriage. I gave up the hope of children. 
And Jesus, I'm in the wilderness. And it's hard, and sometimes I'm lonely. And sometimes I'm weary, and I don't know that I can keep doing this. Jesus, can you feed me in the wilderness? Can you sustain me? Can you lead me? Can you keep me going on this path? If you're living a Christian life, you should be asking that question. Lord, I don't know if I can do this. I'm not strong. I'm not a strong Christian. I don't have my act together. And I want to go back to some of those things that made my life more pleasurable. I don't know that I can survive in the wilderness. One for me, I'll be very honest with you. One for me, I'm 38 now. There's a lot of years of priesthood left, presumably. Lord, can I I'm weary. Can I keep this pace? And on my lonely days, Lord, can I make it without a wife, without children? My friends all have kids now. What about when I'm old? They'll all have grandkids. They'll have their children visiting them. They'll have grandchildren. Jesus, will you be enough? Will you be enough to sustain me? Because you're all I have. <laughs> Yours are going to be different. You're not priests. You are, but not like me. But you'll have those. If you're a real Christian, you're going to have those things. You're going to say, Lord, I'm scared about the future. Is it real? Is your promise real? Can you be enough for me? And we all know, right, we're in John 6 here. Today we have the multiplication of the loaves. But in the following weeks, Jesus is going to use today's miracle to teach us about the Eucharist. And the bread that God wants to give you is not just bread. It's not just your daily needs. The bread God wants to give you is Jesus, are you enough? <laughs> Can you really sustain my heart? I wish I had the food back in Egypt. And I'm in this desert. And I'm not allowed to live like the rest of the world. And I'm scared that I'll be lonely scared that my life will be just too hard. I'm scared that I won't be able to find joy. Jesus, are you enough? Was my risk, was my gamble I took and that I have to take again and again, Jesus, is that gamble going to pay off? Lord, are you enough? have to ask that. Every time I've given up something because I knew I had to to go deeper in my faith, I'm always scared. Always. There's, there's interior fears in my heart and my life that I have to face if I'm going to be a man of faith. And I have to trust that the Lord's going to be there when I'm 60. Jesus 
that you'll be there, that you'll be there to sustain me, that you'll be my joy, that you'll be my purpose. I have to face those if I'm going to be a Christian. And brothers and sisters, the only way you'll ever know is if you risk it. The only way you can be a Christian is to risk something for Jesus. And all I can testify to you today is that in my life, Jesus is not just enough. He is more than enough. When I turn to him, when I leave behind my thoughts of Egypt, my thoughts of the world, when I turn to him, he is more than enough. He is my joy. He gives life to my soul. And I wonder, I always wonder what took me so long. Why did I hesitate so much that the promise that Christ gives me that he will give me life that wells up to eternity that it's real. But I can only taste it when I leave Egypt behind. In our gospel today, and I forgot to mention the barley, there's barley loaves. In Jesus' day, Wheat is more expensive than barley. And so barley is the bread of the poor. And God wants to make you poor. He wants to strip you of all the things you depend on. My wit, my humor, my good looks, whatever it is that, that sustains you, God wants to strip you of that. So he can feed you. That's why it's barley loaves in the gospel today. And, and, and at the end of the story, right, Philip's worried. He says, Lord, there's not enough. How are we going to feed 5,000 people? There can't be enough. Jesus, is there enough? Is the Christian life enough? If I stop obsessing about politics and Hollywood gossip and entertainment, if I gave those things up, if I gave up television and I gave up entertainment and I gave up the things that I think I need Will you be enough for me? Will you feed me? Will you sustain me? And at the end of today's gospel, there's not just enough, there's 12 wicker baskets left over. That's the invitation. Brothers and sisters, God doesn't just want you to get through life. He wants you to taste an overabundance of grace. I always thought, and I will close with this, I always thought the saints, you know, you look at the saints, you're like, man, I admire those guys. They just like, they just like chose to be miserable their whole life, so I guess they'll be happy in heaven, right? It's like you just kind of imagine saints in their room like eating dirt all day, and you're like, I just can't do that. It's not true. It's totally false. What the saints tell us is that there was a joy inside of them, an abundance, that they were so filled with life that they could suffer. They could suffer anything because what made them happy was not what was outside of them. It was the God who lived inside of them. Lord, today, it is your hand that feeds us Jesus, you provide for all of our needs. And Lord, I am still, as a priest, Jesus, I am scared to be a real Christian.
I am scared to live only from you. I'm scared to let go of my attachment to other people and to other things. But Lord, you've provided again and again. Jesus, grant me faith, grant all of us faith today to leave Egypt behind. Lord, let us taste of your bread, of yourself. Lord, may you satisfy me. Lord, may you be the bread that sustains me. Jesus, give me that faith that knows that you are not just enough, Jesus. You're more than enough. You're everything. Lord, may you fill me that I may taste of the Eucharist, that I might have that fullness of joy. 